Welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of Under the Week. I'm Jasmine Arnell-Smith. And I'm Hannah King. Our episode today is brought to you by MSLS and the College of Law. The College of Law offers the largest range of flexible, practical legal training programs in Western Australia, with online, part-time and full-time study options and more than 10 start dates, you can fit PLT around your schedule. Google the College of Law to learn more. Today's episode is with Dr. Haley Passmore. Dr. Passmore is a telethon researcher focusing on fetal alcohol spectrum disorder within the justice system. She tells us about her research and how she came to focus on criminology and research. This research is conducted with the assistance of the Western Australian Department of Justice. Materials published or presented as part of this project are neither endorsed by either department nor are an expression of the policies or views of the departments. Any errors or omissions or commission are the responsibility of the research team. We hope you enjoy this episode. So if you would like to introduce yourself, tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So, hi, my name is Hayley Passmore. I am a child health researcher at the Telethon Kids Institute in Borloo, Perth. Um, So, Telethon Kids is one of the largest child health research institutes in Australia. We do a lot of different stuff, but the team that I work in looks at different child disabilities. So, since 2015, I've been working in a big team of researchers and clinicians working in the youth justice space, so based at Banksy Hill Detention Mm Centre, looking at how many young people in detention have neurodevelopmental impairments, Mm -hmm. specifically fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, but a range of other neurodevelopmental impairments as well. Um, And I also do a lot of staff training for frontline justice professionals in detention and adult corrections as well, but also Mm -hmm. out in community and across a range of different sectors too. And so I guess can you briefly explain to us sort of what a neurodisability is and yeah. then also what fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is? Yeah, know. absolutely. So neurodisability is something that you can either be born with or it can be acquired mm-hmm. um, and yeah. it affects our central nervous system, so our brain function, um, and that can affect us in all of the different ways that we interact with the world across a number of different areas. You might be familiar with some neurodisabilities or neurodevelopmental disorders like autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, intellectual disability, language disorder. Mm -hmm. They're some of the more common ones. Mm -hmm. Um, Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder sits in that same family of neurodisabilities or neurodevelopmental disorders. Lots of different definitions and terminology in this space. Um, But one of the main differences with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or FASD, it's much Mm -hmm. easier to get your tongue around, um, is that it is caused by being exposed to alcohol during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It is lifelong, it can be quite severe, and the way that it affects individuals can affect their behaviour, their um, processing, their physiological processes as well, um, and across a range of different areas of neurodevelopment. Right, okay. okay. And I guess we sort of briefly looked up and noticed that there was uh, fetal alcohol syndrome and then fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I don't know if there is a substantial difference between those at all or how they interact. (laughs) It's a great question. So fetal alcohol syndrome is a term that is now no longer used in Australia at all. Okay. Okay. So in 2016, we had our own Australian guidelines to diagnose FASD published. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that only has the, the use of the terminology fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Right. Yep. Okay. Now, what was previously fetal alcohol syndrome really only captured people at the far end or severe end of the scale mm-hmm. um, where there were particular physical characteristics, physical facial characteristics mm-hmm. that were okay. associated. Yep. Now, the use of the term fetal alcohol spectrum disorder really captures that it is a spectrum. Um, and most people that receive a FASD diagnosis will look typically developed, but it will be internal brain damage that's affecting their ability to function and, and okay. interact in yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. So what have you noticed through your experiences that have been the main impacts of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? Mm. So the issue with FASD, well, there's, there's a number of um, challenges that people with FASD can experience, but the issue with it in terms of the diagnostic sense is that it is such a broad spectrum. Mm. So through mm-hmm. the assessment process, uh, the, di- the guidelines uh, recommend assessing up to 10 areas of neurodevelopment. These are things like memory, language and communication, adaptive function, executive function, so our ability to understand cause and effect and consequences mm. for our yeah. actions, okay. um, cognition, our processing speed, our overall intelligence, um, academic function, our basic reading, writing and math skills, mm-hmm. motor skills, so our fine motor skills, gross motor, visual motor integration. There's a, I haven't listed all 10 there off the top mm. of my head, but there's, it's a really comprehensive and holistic assessment process. Right. Yeah. So we can have people with FASD that will be impaired in, a, in some of those areas, but not all of them. And there can be different combinations of impairments across those areas of neurodevelopment as well, mm-hmm. which means that no two people with a FASD diagnosis will have exactly the same needs or exactly right. yeah. the same challenges or the same strengths. Yeah. It's really important through any assessment process to find out what are they really good at, what are their strengths and where do they need support yeah. um, and to modify our approach for that individual rather than just going off a tick-in-the-box approach yeah. for yeah. someone having FASD right. without understanding their their needs yeah okay and so how easily accessible is like an assessment process is it sort of implemented anywhere or is it something that is maybe for certain demographics actually quite hard to Mm. sort of reach or get a hold of excellent question no easy answer Mm. we have a lack of diagnostic services across Australia Um, not just for FASD but for a whole range of neurodisabilities as well um, it is something that in some particular states it is improving. Um, mm-hmm. We are seeing, particularly in WA, we're seeing the children's courts and some other courts routinely asse- uh, refer on for okay. assessments. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there are services that are um, that are available to mm-hmm. do those mm-hmm. uh, to do those assessments. What I would really strongly advocate for is for our government agencies that are caring for populations of children and young people where there might be a high prevalence for Mm -hmm. them to have allied health professionals and multidisciplinary diagnostic teams employed as part of their services to undertake these assessments well should i dive into some of the findings of our study yeah yeah. absolutely yeah so banksia hill detention center is the only youth detention center for the entire state of western australia Mm -hmm. um most other states and territories have a couple of, mm-hmm. of centres. Some of them have, I think, up to six. But WA only has the one, which means that the young people who reside there, some of them are so far from home and mm. from country yeah. and from family. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has young people who are on remand versus sentence, okay. which means that they're at different stages of their engagement with the justice system and there's different legislation about what kinds of therapeutic programs, educational programs, etc. the young people can be 
involved in. Yeah. Um, so again, there's different needs within the population. There's also males and females within the same centre. Yes. The age range is usually 10 to 18. Um, so as I'm sure both of you know, Australia has one of the lowest ages yes. of criminal yeah. responsibility. Yeah. Mm. Um, and sometimes there are young people just over 18 finishing off a juvenile sentence as well. Um, so at, uh, at Banksy Hill Detention Centre, we had our team of um, clinicians based on site from 2015 until 2017. Mm-hmm. That included a paediatrician, neuropsychologist, speech and language pathologist, and an occupational therapist. Right. So quite comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those four clinicians worked really closely with interpreters as well from the Aboriginal Languages mm-hmm. Interpreting Service of Western yes. Australia to make sure that kids were always assessed in their first language. Right. Yeah. Um, they looked mm-hmm. at all of those areas of neurodevelopment that we spoke about earlier and through that process were able to diagnose first mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over that two years... We invited 166 kids at Banksy Hill to participate, mm-hmm. but in our study, we invited 166 young people to participate. The average age of young people was 16, so, um, you know, sitting in the middle of that mm-hmm. population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We first got consent from the young person, so it was always their choice yes. if they wanted mm-hmm. to participate. Mm-hmm. We then had to have written consent from their parent or caregiver out in the community, mm-hmm. which okay. if you think about the size of WA, getting yeah. bits of paper sent in from all <laughs> yeah. over the state, yes. that's a challenge yeah. in itself. Um, but we were able to get that for 113 kids for mm-hmm. both okay. the parent caregiver and the young person, and then 99 underwent that full comprehensive assessment process involving mm. those four yeah clinicians that I spoke about right okay so of that 99 we diagnosed 36 percent with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder Mm. so over one in three Mm. now that is the highest known amount of FASD to ever be diagnosed in a justice setting worldwide yeah there was previous studies in Canada and North America and the highest that they had found was 23 percent wow um and Mm. our 36 percent that we found here is actually quite conservative we, we were really conservative with how we gave out diagnoses yeah. because yeah. we were a research study mm-hmm. um and it's likely higher than that mm. as well okay. mm-hmm. but the part that shocked our team the most you know we went in there looking for FASD we expected to find FASD in this population um just given the international figures that we had but what we diagnosed was 89 percent of all of that 99 with at least one area of neurodevelopment that was in the severe range of impairment wow so nine in ten kids right yeah in detention Mm. and we're talking about a population of young people Mm. with brains that are not typically developed Mm. but they've been engaged in all of these systems and expected to act in a way as if they were typically developed so they've all gone through police interviews court proceedings um, most of them have been engaged with health, education, some with child protection and other community services. Yeah. Um, right. And why do you think there is such a high proportion of youths in the justice system with FASD? It's a really good question. Um, I think particularly for the justice system, it is something that is so aligned with understanding consequences and cause mm. and effect of your actions. Yeah. yeah. And if you have a neurodisability that makes it really hard for you to understand what consequences could look like or what what it might mean after your behaviour um, and you can't quite follow through with understanding that task or, or um, mm. you know, the, what might result, 
it makes things really tricky for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's a lack of understanding of what that means. So yeah. I think there's a huge link there between people that might have struggles in those areas and then in getting involved in the justice system. Yeah. And so why do you think currently there is sort of such a limited ability for the justice system to appropriately deal with it or manage? And diagnose. Um, or diagnose, mm. yeah, or what the best course of action is? Yeah. Really great question. <laughs> I I think first and foremost, this is not just a justice issue. Yeah. This yeah. is an issue that all of our services need to be aware of and need to have appropriate uh, processes in place to be able to respond mm. to. Mm-hmm. So this is something that we should be identifying in schools much yeah. earlier. And we do hear of kids in year one and year two getting suspended and expelled for challenging behaviour, right? So mm-hmm. that should be where it's flagged as something that needs more attention Mm, rather than waiting until later on down the track where there might be justice involved. So it's, yes, of course, our justice system needs different processes, but Mm. it's it's really important to remember that this is not just a justice issue um, Mm. and everybody who is engaging with young people needs to be aware of this. Now, in the justice system, I think a really main one is staff training. I think Mm. we need staff to be aware of what the young people could be going through or what life might look like from their perception. I think also we really need to take it seriously when we're talking about comprehensive and holistic diagnostic approaches. We can't go in there looking for particular labels or diagnoses, Mm. but I think we should just be getting curious about Mm. how individuals are functioning and what they might need to support them. So I guess how have you been promoting awareness on this issue or what work Mm. have you specifically been doing within this realm? I've obviously mentioned the research side of things, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, we've sort of done a bit of stalking and in terms of reframe um, training there in terms of what's been happening around that and what its purpose is currently. Yeah. So as part of the study at Banksy Hill, it was my responsibility to develop training resources for mm-hmm. the frontline yep. mm-hmm. um, youth detention staff. And the way that I approached this was I was given access by the Department of Justice of WA. Right. Um, and it's quite unprecedented access, actually. But mm. I shadowed their custodial staff mm-hmm. for a full their full 12-hour days mm-hmm. for months and months before I actually begun any research or training development. Right. So okay. I spent time out on the floor with the staff, getting to know what it looks like on a daily basis yeah. In, yeah. in the centre okay. um, and also spending time with the young people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that information that I, that I got through those informal consultations were used in conjunction with a lot of information I got through a whole of staff survey, mm-hmm. looking at what do they yep. know about neurodevelopmental impairments and what do they want to know, mm-hmm. what kind of information would they be receptive yes. to. Yeah. Um, and then I did some qualitative interviews with the uh, custodial officers as well as with young people mm. to look at what kinds of behaviour management they think would be appropriate in this environment okay. and what kind of information, again, would they be receptive to. Okay. Mm-hmm. All of that fed in with the clinical information as well into a training program that is now called reframe training yes so the purpose of reframe is to help individuals or mostly frontline professionals uh, recognize if a young person has potential neurodisability um, respond appropriately and reframe their behaviors Mm. okay so it's really practical it involves the viewing of nine short videos that were okay. filmed on site at Banksy Hill. Mm-hmm. Right. One is the day in the life of a young person with unrecognised neurodisability. Right, okay. And it's a beautiful little story and really shows it from the young person's perspective where yeah. they can pick up easily 
um, mm. what what the world might look like from this young person's perspective. Right, okay. And then there's eight different documentary episodes which go through eight different areas of brain function or neurodevelopment. Okay. Yeah. They're about six minutes long each and mm-hmm. it shows what kind of behaviours might be common if a young person is challenged in that area mm-hmm. um, and what strategies frontline staff could use to assist and support these young people in okay. those particular areas. Yeah. So it's pretty immersive, it's pretty practical, um, and it's something tangible for the staff to hold on to. Yeah. yeah. So those videos are shown in a workshop, a face-to-face yes. workshop. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's lots of valuing of the expertise on the floor already in, that exists amongst the participants of the workshop. Yeah. Um, but beyond Banksia, we have now had requests from every single youth justice agency mm. across Australia to mm. access Reframe training, mm. which is great for us. Um, because it's something that hasn't been done before, right? Mm. Yeah. There's there's not this neurodisability evidence-based training that's available widely for justice professionals. Mm. Um, and also, I think a real strength of the training is that it doesn't focus on any particular label or diagnosis. Yes. It yeah. focuses on functionality for yeah. the young people. Yeah. We've also had requests from adult corrections, community justice, mm-hmm. police, um, lots from the education space as well, right. um, com- community services, disability mm. and health services as well. So, At what point did you do your PhD mm. in this process? So I did, I started off with a Bachelor of Criminology yes. and then yeah. did um, psychology as well and did my honours in psych. Right. And okay. then had a year off in between starting uh, finishing honors and then starting my phd in pediatrics and child health right yeah um and did that as part like did my phd as part of this large study yes from 2015 till 2019 so and that was based at the telephone kids institute and uwa as well yeah Yeah. interesting so um what are your hopes with the justice system and fadsd for the next five to ten years Mm. Big question. (laughs) Um, So firstly, I really want to move the focus away from any one diagnosis and not just FASD, but neurodisability and neurodevelopment overall Mm. because we're all so different. The way that we process the world Mm. is so different from one another. We're all very diverse. And I think that if we can think about the fact that we might not all be starting from the same place in terms of the way that we're understanding a situation um, or interpreting it from the same place, I think that is really important. So moving the conversation from diagnosis to functionality and needs is a big one for me. I guess maybe to sort of change the tone of the conversation (laughs) a little bit and just look at um, your experience studying and specifically criminology Mm. because a lot of our listeners as well are criminology students as well as law students. So just sort of how did you find your study of criminology here and I guess how has that helped you in terms of your career? Yeah. So interesting when I reflect back on it, the reason that I started studying criminology was because in high school – I really wanted to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then I thought, oh, I'll just I'll get a degree and just see how I feel afterwards. Okay, mm-hmm. right. And very quickly I learned that perhaps going down that route wasn't the best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I really wanted to work in a space that I would have the capacity to do large-scale change. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something that's really important for me morally mm-hmm. yeah. um, and to work in advocating for different policy and practice change to happen. So research has been a beautiful 
uh, avenue to be able to do that. And yeah, I feel absolutely. very grateful for that. Yes. Um, so I did my criminology degree here at Murdoch. Mm. Um, I think also just hearing from people with lived experience. I think that's the most powerful part of this puzzle. And I think mm-hmm. right. um, we really need to put people with lived experience at the forefront of these discussions. Mm. And for me, I started uh, volunteering in my second year of criminology um, for an NGO that was running a program, a family support program for women who were in prison. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. And so I spent every Saturday and Sunday morning uh, running this program. And wow. honestly, it was one of the, the probably one of the highlights of my life. Mm, and yeah. I, I ended yeah. up very quickly moving from a volunteer role to um, a paid position okay. and then right. eventually managed the program and was there for over four years. And... And again, it comes back to just hearing people's stories, hearing their circumstances and really becoming aware that we are all humans mm, going yeah. through mm-hmm. the world in ve- having very different experiences. Mm. Um, and that to me, I think, was the most powerful yeah. uh, part of my journey yeah. to then really say, I want to put a lot of my time and energy into, yeah. into assisting people who are in those situations yeah. to have their voices amplified and heard and um, just to to make sure that the human side of things are always maintained. Yeah. Yeah. And so would you encourage, I guess, students who are studying either be that law or criminology, because I guess it's quite easy to get bogged down and just mm. learning the academic side of it, learning the statistics and the theory to really open themselves up to opportunities where they get that much more like individual mm. interaction that makes them, you know, understand people who may be different from them. Yes, for sure. I am a huge advocate for students starting as early as possible in their professional career right, okay, to yes. get to gain different experiences yes. because I think the more that you uh, learn about what you do and don't like yes. in the professional yeah. world, you, you get more of an understanding of what you want to spend your mm. time and energy on mm-hmm. and what will align with you. Mm. Look for volunteering positions. Yes. I yeah. honestly think that changed the trajectory of my life right, yes, starting out yeah. as a volunteer and I didn't wait to see anything advertised, right? I found programs and services that I was interested in and emailed them several times. (laughs) Assistance is key. (laughs) (laughs) To to get my foot in the door and to get a volunteer position. And that has led on to so many different things. Yeah. Um, Just don't underestimate putting yourself out there. It can be really uncomfortable, particularly as a young person, to um, kind of believe in yourself and and go for it. Yeah. And I don't want to sound too cliche, but I, I do think we have to take a little bit of the initiative and drive mm. it for yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Um, and what was it like being nominated for Young Australian of the Year? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? I, I just feel so grateful for that recognition. And while I might talk about my work as if it's, you know, me doing this, this is a t- huge team effort. There mm. are so yeah. many people that I've had the privilege of working with and learning from and exceptional people who are changing the world without even stopping for any recognition um so for me to receive that is just um I'm really grateful for that yeah it is a little bit um you know there's always imposter syndrome that goes on and and there's always (laughs) you know do I you know do I deserve this and you know when you look at the other people that are kind of in that in, you know nominated as well yeah. you think oh wow like what what an incredible group of people like do I belong there um but I'm learning I'm learning slowly to 
celebrate my own achievements. I'm sure we can both objectively tell you you absolutely belong <laughs> yeah. there after hearing this. Yeah. That's kind, but it's a work in progress mm. and um yeah, it's um I'm trying to make promises to myself to allow myself to feel proud. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Absolutely. Do you have any advice you would give your younger self about interesting um advice oh look there's probably many things I think um oh it sounds so it sounds so cliche but Embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> I think really spending time and energy on learning to trust yourself and have confidence in mm. your own decisions I think we waste so much time worrying about the what ifs and what things could look like yeah. to other people and at the end of the day that just absolutely doesn't matter yes. Yes. Um, and our own journeys are our own journeys mm. yeah. and I think um, for me actually while I was in my final year of studies here at Murdoch I actually had a life-threatening illness and was told yeah. I wasn't going to make it and I was 21 at the time and and what I really came away from that experience is just that life really is so quick yeah and yeah. we don't have time to spend energy and thoughts on the crap that doesn't actually matter right yeah. so yeah. yeah um spending time and energy on doing the most important things for ourselves is is what I would want my younger self, self. to do yeah. more of yeah yeah absolutely all right, well, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Taking the time to talk to us and to explain sort of what you've done and what you're currently working on, I think we're both really quite excited to, to see, see happens, where it goes. goes and what yeah. future changes thank um, you. may be implemented. Thanks yeah. so much for having me. I really appreciate being part of the conversation. We wish to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land of the Wajok people of the Noongar Nation and pay our respect to elders past and present. We respect the knowledge and laws that traditional elders and Aboriginal people in this place hold and pass on from generation to generation. We'd also like to acknowledge the country that you are listening on and pay our respect to any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people that are listening today. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, the College of Law. Follow Murdoch Student Law Society on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on our next episodes.